Welcome to the Singapore Podcast, where we bring you authentic perspectives on East-West cultural exchange from the eyes of youth. Welcome to today's Singapore episode. I'm Sarah, and here with me is Gary Pua, Senior Vice President in Global Business Development at a foreign bank in China. He supports the bank's regional business by providing advice on cross-border banking solutions within China and Asian region. He has been living in Shanghai for eight years, and he will share his story today. Well, I think it has been a very interesting、uh, time for me to come to China in 2013. That was where China was booming on an upward trend, and I took the opportunity when there was a posting available、uh, in the bank to come to Shanghai. I actually came to Shanghai for holiday in back in 2007, and then you know the, the time from then. To two to one three, so much has happened in China, and because I had friends who was in China back then,、uh, they were sharing me that it's very interesting how things are evolving, and people who are, who are inside China just felt that there's so much opportunity, and they would encourage me to actually come to China and work here and get the experience. I think it has been such a wonderful time、uh, here in Shanghai and in China. I had. Been traveling not only on the eastern part of China, I also traveled to the northern part of China and the southern part of China. So each city is quite different from another culturally, you know, the development wise, and it has provided me a very interesting insight of how things actually function. It's not like uh, well, Singapore is a island city, so things are very small and clear, and rules are very simple. When you come to China, you have to deal with a lot of ambiguity.、Uh, city from city, they they operate in a different manner,、uh, culturally or in terms of some regulation wise. So you have to try to maneuver through those、uh, situations. And when dealing ambiguity, you have to stand by certain principle and not cross that principle. So I think it's always a point where I have always to sit down and think. Okay, if I have to deal with this, what should I do? Uh, how do I not cross the line and settle those the issues? So that's something that, in the general part, I felt that gave me a lot of、uh, learning experience that I didn't have in Singapore. Yeah, wow, that sounds great. So,、um, Gary, would you like to share with us some interesting stories that you have where you stand by your principles? So in China, there are always regulation on maybe capital controls and. There are also situation of certain real estate development projects、uh, that client need to do, and then you know some of them could be clients from overseas. They they are not certain of the rules in China, and then、mm-hmm. uh, they need you to provide the same set of like maybe foreign term or financing、uh, condition as what they get in Singapore. It's quite difficult for the, for a lot of foreigners to understand why are there certain rules in China. But、uh, we have been able to actually、uh, guide them through. More so when I'm speaking from two perspectives: one from the China perspective, one from the Singapore perspective. So that's where it is interesting that、uh, when you try to sit them down and try to talk to them over time, then they'll get to absorb what you're trying to tell them. But it has not been easy.、Uh, that's the first thing, because the cultural differences itself is actually quite big. So something that I always Encourage people is that they have to open their mind, sit down, and think through the process from two countries' perspectives. Especially if they are coming from overseas, or、mm. even if they are going out from from 
China to other countries, you will have that thought to keep in mind. Example, there, there are companies that actually went uh, overseas to invest. And, you know, China has regulation on capital control and investment overseas. So I think that there are times where the company didn't actually set up their company in a same manner according to some regulation requirement. And then they want to approach a bank to finance. And I think we just set down the principle to them that, look, you got to follow the regulation, uh, get the thing right, get, get your shelter structure right, and then uh, we can talk about business. So I think over time, a lot of these uh, companies have learned how to do the things the right way. So it's been a lot easier to operate. Just to share, like I have one case where the client, um, they realized that when they first set up their company overseas, it wasn't in compliance with the, the regulation. So they closed off that company and reapplied to set up a new company through the proper route of getting the government approval. So, so when he did that, it was easier for, for the bank to actually come in to, to provide them what they need uh, in terms of banking support. That was interesting in the sense that I think they are all more open-minded to getting things doing the right way as time goes by. So sticking to your principles, sticking to what I think we, we know, and that helps. Over time, no matter how the big the business is, but we still need to keep to the principle of you know uh, the regulations and the internal controls that we have, and make the client understand. Yeah, wow, that sounds like a lot of great work that you did. So, what aspects of your job excites you and make you feel passionate about the future? Is there any uh, investment project that especially meaningful to you? So, what excites me about my job every day is that I get to meet a lot of different people. So these people give me a different perspective on how things go. If you were to look at it, China opened up maybe in the 80s, and a lot of these people who started their business, they slowly grew over time, maybe in the 90s and towards the earlier 2000s. Uh, so when they share their life experience and share how they actually you know, work hard to build their business to where they are, that actually gives you a lot of excitement okay, on how actually China developed. In recent years, I, when I meet up with some of the startups in China, these people who just start, they have a different passion. They have a lot of love for what they are doing. Some of them are doing not because of money, but because they think they could change someone's life. Example, there was this company that provides the lodging for the blue-collar workers or those mm -hmm. people who just graduated from university trying to find a job in the first year and second year city. And the interesting thing about this whole thing that the, the boss says that I am not just providing a place for them to stay, but a place for them to, to have some hope and right? mm -hmm. to shelter them while they find their dreams in the city. So it's a very interesting thought altogether. And then you sit back, okay, I don't think I have met anyone that this kind of thought. It's not about the money. It's just about what they can do to contribute to the society. And there was another gentleman which I met. He was sharing me about providing a solution to some of these SME bosses to do their tracking accounting, you know, for them to better improve their business working capital itself. Mm -hmm. So it's just a very small little app that he has to provide to all these uh, mom and pop shops. But to him, it's different. He's also not really looking into making money initially, but he's looking at providing some solution to help these people. So I think these people have a different agenda. That has been very interesting for me as a start. There's also another company that was doing this um, big data. So he was sharing with us about how they can use the data to improve the security of the society. So it's rather different from the normal, you know, the established businessmen that I meet. 
So that's some of the interesting things that I think have come across over time in China. I see. So you met a lot of people who did great things, and I guess they try to improve the world. Yeah, that is very. Yeah, very, very different dream from what I get in Singapore. I see. Oh, um, and it's generally believed that being in the banking industry gives you a tough schedule. How do you balance your work and your life? Okay. Uh, for me, it is very simple. First, you got to set the priority right and schedule the times that you have. And of course, you must have an understanding family. I'm very busy from Monday to Friday. So I will try to spend my weekend with my family. I will try to finish up all my work within the, the day itself. Monday to Friday, I will start work at about maybe 7 a.m. I'll end at about 8 p.m. 8 will be probably the latest I'll leave. I'll get back home, spend a bit of time with my wife. So I always believe having a priority and also the understanding of the family. That's important. And then you must be able to find avenues to distress. So like on the weekend, I'll definitely go and do a weekend run between 5 to 10 kilometers on a Saturday and Sunday. And I'll wow. do a yoga on either Saturday morning or Sunday morning, depending on the schedule itself with my family. So that helps to provide some avenues to distress. And of course, having a pet in the home would be a great thing to have. It, it helps to distress. Uh, in my home, uh, my wife has a cat. Okay, She has another shelf more in another place. But the, that one cat in the house actually do bring a bit of life to the family. Okay, mm -hmm. And of course, when, when I travel, I make it a point to call my wife in the evening uh, just to say goodnight to her. So I think that these are little things that actually still make you happy while you're working very hard work. So the family mm -hmm. support is important. That's for me. I see. Wait, how many cats do you have? Well, more specifically, my wife's cat. Um, <laughs> she has 13 cats. Okay. Wow. Yeah, basically stray cats. My wife is a Leo. And she's born a year of tiger, so she's a, she's like a double cat. So that's why she loves cats a lot. Okay. <laughs> um, the, the cats are mainly stray cats. She has always tried to buy a place for them to stay and try to keep them happy. Actually, it's quite cute. Not all the 13 stays with us, only one of them stays with us. So uh, not as messy as everybody would thought, but it's a lot of work. So maybe my wife and my mother-in-law takes care of those cats. Wait, so can you share with us how do you meet with your wife? Okay, so well, I met my wife through friends. The time when she met her, she just came back from a trip to Sichuan province. So she was traveling there for two weeks. She was traveling on a high terrain area. So she, it was very interesting when I was talking to her. She was saying it, uh, sleeping in those ming su. And the environment was quite bad. It was just quite tough. And then I was like, okay, mm, this lady is not like most lady I meet. Not the, you know, must stay in a nice hotel and stay in a nice place, but she's adventurous. So that attracted me uh, to her. And then, you know, we, we, we met and we talked. And unless she's someone that I, I think I could spend my life with. Gotcha. Um, so my next question for you is, what is your advice to young Singaporeans or foreigners coming to China for finance or just entrepreneurs seeking to have a business here or have a job here? What's your advice? Okay. My advice is always to come with an open mind and stay nimble. Things in China changes uh, very fast. It's not easy to just sit in one place and thinking that your success formula will work forever. Because <clears throat> looking at when I first came to China, 
there was no Meituan and Olama. And then see where they are right now. And WeChat was just starting back in 2013 and see where they are right now. So mm-hmm. things have evolved so much faster than what we think. There was no Douyin uh, when I first came to China. And then look where Douyin right now. TikTok is probably one of the major names that people know overseas for either good or not so good reasons. But that's where we are. The, the, the mind must be open. You have to go out and talk to people to get ideas and how things are evolving. I met quite a number of Chinese who actually studied overseas or worked overseas and came back to, to China because they saw more opportunity for growth. And they were trying to run around and understand the needs of people. So to value add, you must first understand what sort of the industry is going, what sort of pain point you want to solve, and could you value add? So it's us about value adding. What the experience you have overseas and in China are two totally different things. So I wouldn't say the experience outside of China is, is uh, not so important, but you have to see how you can integrate two ideas together to get something running. Just like I met uh, many years ago, uh, some foreigners who were trying to do those uh, electronic charging stations in China. They were trying to find business partner. And then first I told them, you have to first understand the entire landscape before you can think of how you want to get that business going. That was probably about five years ago, you know, where mm-hmm. the China is trying to, you know, do the electric cars and things like that. So they saw opportunity. But then the electrical charging stations, how can you be profitable? First, I made a startup that was doing this. And then, of course, the startup closed down. Uh, because there's a business model. You just need to find what's the right business model. And you cannot just be sitting in your own ivory tower overseas and then coming here thinking that you can bring the same idea back into China and try to you know, run it through. Because the success formula for what's in China will be very different from another country. So that's, mm-hmm. that's why I say you have to really go down and to people and get the ideas right. So that would be my advice to, to everyone that comes to China. I see. So they have to understand the, the specificity of the Chinese business landscape. Yes, they have to. And I would probably say that they, they will have to understand how each specific cities operate itself to find the opportunity. Because some policies in the eastern region could be different from the southern region. Mm-hmm. Since you mentioned this uh, regional difference, can you tell us more about like your experience with Chinese culture in different places. You mentioned like how the Greater Bay Area is different from Northern China and all that stuff. Okay. Um, when I go to Shandong for a business trip, they have a very strong drinking culture, unlike the South. So it's like you need to be able to hold your drink well when you go to the Shandong province to <laughs> talk to the client. While the, the Southern side, I mean, they are very, really business uh, let's talk business, you know, the drinking can come later. But in Shandong, it's like, they, they come together. So there's a bit of this cultural differences between the, the two aspects. But I think from the policy perspective, even like Hainan right now, they have new policies in place uh, encouraging a new hub. So even a client prospect that I met was telling us that maybe you could look into exploring, uh, they are looking to exploring a new companies set up in Hainan because of certain policies that could help their businesses to reduce mm-hmm. costs uh, as compared to where they are in Guangdong itself. So there, there are some opportunities because of some policies that could actually help the business grow. So that's something that you, you have to be very in mind. That's why I say you, you have to be keep running around talking to people. And you cannot just stay in one place and 
in your ivory tower and, and read from papers. You have to really run down to the ground to talk to people. That's the thing. I see. Yeah, that sounds like you had a lot of interesting trips in China. Is there any trip that I guess you remember the most? Mm -hmm. I think the trip that was interesting was like I went to Qingdao to visit a client. That was the first year I came in 2013. So I went to Qingdao, I visited a client, and then he said, let's have a lunch. And then uh, since you're in Qingdao, of course you ask for Qingdao beer, you know. And then one, then he brought me one whole crate of Qingdao beer and placed beside me. And then I realized each of us had a crate of Qingdao beer beside each of us. And I was asking, <laughs> this for me? He said, yeah, that's how we drink beer in Qingdao. We ask for beer. And I was, okay, so am I expected to finish the beer? And he said, <laughs> yeah, so long. That's what we drink here. So I was like, okay, can I just switch to red wine now? That, that the amount of volume that they had, I mean, I had one crate beside me, it was like 12 bottles. And I'm talking about the 500 ml bottles. So I was like, okay, look, I got to change to a red wine. I think I can I can take that volume in. I can take less in terms of uh, volume-wise if I was drinking red wine. Uh, so so it was very interesting on that trip that I realized that, like I said, that, that cultural differences, understanding the location itself, this kind of culture is very important. Uh, mm -hmm. that, was, that was a shock to me. And... Another one was I, I went to northern part of China uh, during June 2013. So this was a, a Singapore client. He had a factory in, in northern part of China. So I visited the factory and his general manager with a local uh, was very hospitable. So he, he said, okay, let's have dinner with everyone. And he was very polite. He was saying, okay, since you're a foreigner, let's start off uh, with uh, drinking some red wine. You know, since and he says that you're a foreigner, you definitely can drink red wine. And after we finish a bottle of red wine, then he moved on to say, um, since you're in China, you should uh, try our white baijiu. White oh, okay. Uh, white wine. Yeah. Okay, so we, we have one round uh, of white wine. And then he was saying that, mm, let's have some yellow wine, which is good for health, you know, for good health, <laughs> let's have some yellow wine. Uh, and he warmed up the yellow wine. We was feeling quite hot, so he said, you know, some things are so warm, let's have some cold beer. So he brought in cold beer for everyone to drink. So that was another experience that shocked me that you could actually have four different types of alcohol in one night. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so that was a bit of cultural difference. Uh, I, I think the guy was just trying to be what he is, then that's how he treat his guests. But that was a total cultural shock to me. Because I had a very bad hangover the, the next day. So again, the drinking story sounds uh, uh, fun, but it, it does reflect a certain cultural in different parts of the places. Like if I were to travel to the southern regions, I think clients don't really drink that much. You know, we're trying to appreciate the wine more. So it's just like what we did in Singapore. Uh, but you know, some, some places they, they drink it quite differently. So so it was interesting. I mean, for 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 me, uh, in that aspect. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a lot of fun stories. So I guess um, for our audience who are not familiar with, you know, what is global business development in your bank, can you share with us, like, you know, the thing that you did that you're most proud of? Okay. Uh, we basically help clients in of their banking needs uh, in other parts of the country. Example, if a client was to come from, you know, Singapore, they do not know some of the banking issues that they need to take note of, I'll be trying to help them to provide the solution. 
and trying to put in context what's the local solution that would be something equivalent to what they can get in Singapore, subject to of course regulatory uh, requirements here. And of course, the other things that I'm proud of is actually helping the company to go out of China. So that's also one part of my business. Um, so a lot of Chinese companies, they will move to overseas, like maybe Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, or Vietnam, or Indonesia. And all these countries, their banking also is quite different. Uh, how the different product functions is also quite different. And they will need to know what kind of banking solution that the bank can provide so that they can, they can run their business uh, smoothly. So... For my team itself in China, I work with my counterparts in the other parts of the world to provide them the solution that they need. And most of the time, we actually have to explain to them in a local context how the facility or the solution will function. Because frankly, they, they wouldn't know the banking regulation in the other countries. So my team itself will have to try to explain to them and give them a bit of idea uh, how to get uh, what they want at the end of the day. Okay. So this is something that my team has always been trying to do, uh, helping the businesses to, to develop their business uh, in terms of banking support they need outside of China. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, thank you, Gary, for joining us and sharing your story with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you uh, for giving a time to share my experience with everyone. Hope you'll be meaningful and hope that there'll be more people that will be interested to come to China and, and stay on. Thank you, everyone.